Welcome back to Life Academy here at First Presbyterian Church of Bonita Springs. I'm Pastor Stephen Grant, and I want to welcome you to now our third session in this class that's titled Discipleship, Learning How to Follow Jesus. And today, our topic is one of my favorites. It's a disciple's love. All of us know that there were 10 commandments, right? Well, actually, there were 11, because Jesus gave us a new one. Of course, he has the authority to do that, him being God. And he told his disciples that, I, that he has a new commandment. And that new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, the commandment to love one another, that is not new. The Old Testament speaks frequently about that. But what is new is to love one another as Jesus loved us. Well, what's unique about the love that Jesus had for us? Well, there's a word that perhaps you've heard tossed around in Bible classes and in the sermons. It is the Greek word agape. Now, don't panic. We're not going to have an extensive Greek lesson here. But it is a very important concept in understanding really what it is that Jesus wants his disciples to do. In the biblical Greek language, there are a number of words that we translate into English with the word love. In English, we only have one word, love, and we apply it to everything. We say that we love our mother, and we also love ice cream. <laughs> Obviously, those are two very different things. But by the context, we understand the extent of what we mean by this word love. But in Greek, there is a whole list of words that we translate love, depending on the nature of the relationship. Now, you don't have to remember all these, but there's one for the love that you would have for a child. There's the word that you would have, that romantic love that you would have for your spouse. There is a word that you would use for the love of humanity or for a sibling, and on and on. But what's the word that Jesus used when he was talking about our loving one another as he loved us? Well, it's a very special word, and that's that word agape. And what is agape? Agape means to love another unconditionally and sacrificially. It's an unconditional, sacrificial love that we have for others. Now, what is amazing about this type of love is that it's not dependent on feelings. Now, feelings are important, and they're certainly included, but it's not dependent on feelings. But in fact, that's the only way we can make sense out of Jesus' teaching when he said to love your enemies. You say, how am I supposed to love my enemy? Am I supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings for my enemy? Well, of course not. But you still can approach that, even your worst enemy, out of discipleship to Jesus, agape. You can still have an unconditional, sacrificial approach to that person um, when you are being a disciple of Jesus in those encounters. For instance, in uh, that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians, that chapter 13, the famous chapter 13, that people often read at weddings, and I submit that oftentimes they choose it for the wrong reasons. And the reason why they read, they read it at weddings uh, most of the time is because it's all about love. Well, 
Yes, but not in the way in which they think it's about. It's about this idea of agape. Every time you read that, 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 uh, uh, the word love in that famous chapter, substitute the word agape. If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but have not agape, I'm just a noisy, gong and clangy symbol. Well, what he's trying to say, when you get down to the second paragraph there, when he describes what agape is, if you read it carefully, you will notice there are no feeling words there. They are all things that you could actually offer to your worst enemy out of discipleship to Jesus if you choose to. You can choose to be patient. You can choose to be kind. You can choose to not keep a score of wrongs. You can choose not to insist on your own way and so forth. These are ways in which sacrificially, I can show Jesus' love to another person. And so what Jesus is trying to say to us is that we want to live in such a way that agape is just a natural part of who we are. It's the way we approach others. That I give you a new commandment, that you would love one another, that you would agape one another as I have agaped you. Now, the bottom line of all this is that what he's trying to get his disciples to do is to love others and to see others as he sees them. See, oftentimes our relationships get strained because we're looking inward. We're looking at ourselves instead of sacrificially the way we look at others. And what he's trying to get us to do, that if you're a disciple of, of mine, Jesus says, you will look at that person the way I do. And really, as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, I like to think of as the Christian manifesto, if you will, where if you really want to find out, well, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? How does a disciple of Jesus relate to the world? And what is that person's attitudes about things? And how do they approach relationships? Read the Sermon on the Mount and take him at his word. And after the initial Beatitudes, he goes through a whole series of reviews of Old Testament laws. Now, why does he do this? It's because he wants to give us a deeper understanding of what those Old Testament laws mean. So he'll say, you have heard it said of old, and then we'll quote what it says in the Old Testament. Then he says, but I say to you, and he gives us a more complete understanding of what Moses meant in the first place. But at the bottom line of each one of those, if you look at them very carefully, you see he's trying to get us to look at other people the way he does. So for instance, the subject of anger. He says, now, you have heard it said of old, don't commit murder. But I say to you, don't even be angry. And you go, how is this? Why would he say this? It's because murder is an extreme form of what starts with anger. And what a disciple of Jesus does is you don't even allow anger to get a foothold so it doesn't develop into something as extreme as murder. And so he wants us to do something about the anger from the beginning. So in other words, if we look at another person the way he does, we have to ask ourselves, why am I angry? What is prompting this anger? Maybe if I try to look into this other person's life and try to understand why they did what they did, or to be able to understand that we're being all sinners, that this person has made a mistake, or whatever it is, how would Jesus look at that person? And what's amazing is, is that the more we approach other people that way, then anger has a way of dissipating. The next one is lust. And we certainly live in a culture where that is rampant. 
So he's encouraging us. The law says don't commit adultery. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, where does adultery start? It starts with lust. So we're not even going to do that. Because when I look at another person, I might be able to acknowledge the fact that that other person is very attractive or has attributes that are appealing. But not to cross that line into lust because when I do that, then what I'm doing is I am um, diminishing that person in my eyes uh, from being a complete human being to an object of my pleasure. But instead, I should look at that person the way Jesus does. That person is somebody's wife, somebody's mother, somebody's sister, somebody's uh, best friend, a person with a personality, with uh, hopes and dreams, and all the things that go to making life. And if I make it a habit of looking at this person as Jesus does, there's no room for lust. And as you go through the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, other things about oaths, about retaliation, um, these are the things the bottom line comes to with agape love, self-sacrificing, unconditional love. I open my heart to view others the way Jesus does. And when I do that, then my relationships with everyone else transforms. And I can love that person in ways I never thought I could because I am a disciple of Jesus. I hope so far you've been able to see that Christians are very different from other people. I know sometimes people will say, well, you know, we Christians, we're just like everybody else. I think when they say that, they mean that we're sinners like everybody else. Okay, if that's what you mean, I get that. But my hope is that you really don't believe that, that Christians are just like everybody else. Not that we are superior, not that we walk around with a holier-than-thou attitude. Actually, humility is a big part of being a disciple of Jesus. But that we are different because we follow a different master. And there should be a result to that. So as James says in his letter, he says, faith without works is dead. In other words, if I'm having a genuine uh, transformation, that genuine born again that we talked about before, there should be evidence of that. The fruit uh, that I produce at this point should be quite different than what we see in the world. So yes, we are very different. And that's uh, a very clear in the way in which we relate to one another. But at its core is this word and concept and reality of agape, self-sacrificing, unconditional love. Now, this then translates to yet another aspect of how we communicate uh, this agape love to others, and that is in the realm of servanthood. And what it boils down to is that when one is living, has embraced this idea of agape, we realize it's not all about us. And unfortunately, that's the way the fallen world operates. It's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. It's all about uh, what I want. But Jesus is saying in, uh, in several places in Scripture, actually, but I'll quote to you a passage in Mark. He said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the servant of of all. You see, agape goes this way. It doesn't go that way. It goes this way. It's always about how do I minister and how do I sacrificially love others out of obedience to Jesus? Because that's the way Jesus loved us. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And he says, now you go do likewise. Now, we're not the Savior. We can't die for other people's sins. 
But as we talked about before, we want to be like our master. And so this whole idea of servanthood, whether in a position of leadership or we're part of a team or whatever, it's all about the idea that I am the servant of all. Because Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so his disciples are going to do the same thing. But the energy behind that, what's going to enable me to do that, is this whole idea of agape love, to love one another as Jesus loved us. Now, this is the, quite frankly, the vow that we make when we stand at the front of the church or wherever and give our vows when we get married. When we promise to love the other, that's what we're promising. But for the rest of my life, I'm going to agape you. In other words, regardless of how I might feel in any given moment, I am going to sacrificially love you. That's the only way you can keep a 24-7 for the rest of your life relationship going and blossoming and growing. So uh, I was curious to all of you listeners out there, if you ever wondered where that cake ceremony in weddings came from. Now, most of you, if not all of you, have been to wedding receptions and there's always a big cake there. And at some point during the reception, they cut the cake and they have the bride and groom then feed each other the cake. Well, now what usually happens? Well, what usually happens is, is that they cut the cake and then they go to feed each other and the one sticks it in this person's forehead and this one sticks it in somebody's cheek and there's a mess and everybody laughs and I'm over there going, oh, <laughs> because they're not getting it. This whole cake ceremony, you ever wonder where it came from? This whole cake ceremony is supposed to be a symbol for marriage and how marriage is supposed to work and at its core is agape. That is to say, here's how it works, is that so my wife and I, Nanette, my wife, we did this and we understood this. And so if I am thinking about Nanette, all she has to do is open her mouth. She doesn't do a thing. Because I am going to take care of her. I am going to place the cake in her mouth, and there's no mess. And, but just at the same time, if she's thinking about me, all I have to do is open my mouth. And we place the cake, and there's no mess. But if I'm thinking about myself, and she's thinking about herself, we aren't paying attention. And so the cake is going all over the place, and then we become moving targets, and there's a mess, and everybody laughs. Well, this is the way marriage is supposed to work. It's supposed to work where as each are looking after the other, each are agapeing the other, there's no mess. And that is how marriage operates on all cylinders, is when we are both agapeing the other. Now, we never do that 100% of the time because of, of human weakness or situations, but the inclination is always, my marriage is about Nanette, and Nanette's marriage is about me. And when we're both doing that, that's when marriage is the joy that God intended it to be. Well, it's the same way, the way we deal with anybody and the appropriateness of the given relationship is it's not all about us. It's all about others. And actually, in the end, it's all about him. And so we do this, the disciple responds in this way because we want to give glory to Almighty God. And we want to serve him in the way in which he served us. Now, you might be asking the question, but Stephen, that sounds great, but what about me? What about my needs? 
What about, uh, I, I need to be loved. I need to have, exactly. Now think, now just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine if all Christians lived this way. Imagine if all Christians agaped one another, if all family members agaped one another out of obedience to Jesus Christ. You will experience a love like you've never had before. But we're always looking out for ourselves. We're always trying to satisfy our needs and using other people to do it. Well, if they are already agapeing us and we are already agaping others, you start getting a vision of what Jesus' kingdom is like. And imagine if Christians all around this country, there's millions of us. In fact, there's billions of us around the globe. Imagine if all Christians took Jesus at his word to love one another as he loved us sacrificially. Think of the impact that God's people would have on this world. And we look around and we think, look at all the the hatred and the struggle and the uh, uh, vindictiveness and uh, how, how mean everybody is to one another. Well, you know, it's the country and the world that we have created. And Christians, again, are the ones who step into the breach of brokenness and take the risk of agape to love their enemies, to sacrifice for one another in order to bring reconciliation and peace into the world. It's hard work because a lot of times people aren't receptive. But in the end, imagine if all of us, all Christians, everybody listening, that we all did this, think of the impact that we would make in God's world, in this broken world that we have made. Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. That's how they'll know. I mean, you can sing songs, you can uh, pray eloquently, and you can do all these things in front of everybody. But Jesus said, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're my disciple. He says, they will know you're my disciple if you agape one another. That's how they'll know. So this is pretty powerful stuff. And so that's why it's so important for us who seek to be disciples to surrender our heart to the Holy Spirit so that that love is, in fact, what um, uh, is is an aspect of our character. So you say, well, how do I do that? How then do I develop that heart? Well, once again, it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about this next time. But for now, think of it this way. The extent to which that ability to agape others is the extent to which we fully embrace Jesus' agape for us. Because when we realize what it is he's done for us, when we realize the extent, we'll never fully realize, but when we're able to embrace just how much Jesus loves us, when we were were yet sinners, when we didn't deserve his grace and mercy, in fact, we deserved the opposite. In fact, the scripture teaches us that through our sinfulness, we deserve his condemnation. But instead, he went to that cross and suffered that unspeakable pain to reconcile us with one almighty God so that we would not only spend eternity with him, but that we would be able to develop that relationship with him that brings peace in this life. Now, I would like to end with this, and really, friends, take this to heart. One of the ways that, in my spiritual life, that has helped me to rid myself of any semblance 
And again, I too am a sinner, so I don't do this 100%. But to eliminate any sense of judgmentalism in my life or hatred toward another person, I may not like what people do, I may have great disagreements with people, but in my heart, what do I feel for that person? How do I um, relate to that person? Is when I think about that my sins were bad enough that necessitated that Jesus go to that cross. And if my sins were bad enough that it necessitated my sweet Savior to have to suffer that for me, who am I to judge another person? And so whenever I get an attitude about another person, I feel Jesus tapping me on the shoulder and said, Stephen, do you realize all the things I could have against you? But yet, how did I deal with you? And that's when I pause and say, oh, my sweet, loving, lovely Jesus, look what you have done for me. And when you really embrace that, the more we meditate on this and let that truth sink in, we'll talk more about this next week, next time is the more we do that, the more that natural sense of agape love for others just spills out from us to other people. But even more importantly than that, the agape love that we have for him. My friends, that the great commandment to love one another as Jesus loves us is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. Well, my friends, I thank you for listening to this third session. Our next session will talk more about how do I use the spiritual disciplines that are available to us to deepen our relationship with Christ. I hope you'll tune in for our next session. And until then, shalom and much love.